Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, welcome this morning. Uh, this is probably the worst day of the year in my opinion. Spring forward day, you lose that hour of sleep. But at the same time, it is a great day because it's my son's uh, 15th birthday. So I have to balance it out of... Um, of a lack of sleep, but getting to celebrate him. And he is still sleeping. So, you know, he's not suffering like the rest of us. Well, uh, we are down to our final two messages dealing with this end time series, the final two messages on the end game series. But if you want to hear more about the end times events, I would encourage you to be a part of our Bible study. The Bible study is streamed live. It's available on our YouTube uh, page, our Facebook page, and it's also on our website. And so you can get that by being a part of that group. It happens at 4 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, this Sunday and the next Sunday, it is not going to be live. It will just be video posted, uh, but you can get on and be a part of it that way. So we are, like I said, we are down to our final uh, two messages in Endgame. We have today's message. Uh, next week, I will not be preaching, but the week after Palm Sunday, we will be wrapping up this series, and then we will be moving into Easter Sunday. So what we have been talking about in this Endgame series is all of Matthew 24 and 25. We are only looking at what Jesus said. Now, there's a lot more in the Bible that talks about with the end times events. And to hear that, you need to tune into that Revelation and end times prophecy Bible study. But we have been looking specifically at Matthew 24 and 25. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus gives a variety of prophecies. He's saying these are the literal events that are going to take place. These are the literal things that are going to happen. At the end of all of that, uh, they, the disciples most likely would have walked away with the same kind of question that we had. And the question is this, what should then we be doing in anticipation of the Lord's coming? And in order to prepare us for what's going to happen, Jesus then gives a series of parables. The parables that Jesus gives at the end of Matthew 24, all of Matthew 25, are all about preparation. What should I be doing in anticipation of his coming. And so there are five specific parables, and then it wraps it up with another prophecy that we will end with uh, in two weeks. But the parables that Jesus had been talking about were these, and these are how to prepare. First, Jesus said, uh, I want you to be discerning, be discerning of the times. And he used the example of the fig tree. When you see the fig tree producing a leaf, you know that summer is almost near. In the same way, when you see all of these signs, you will know that the end is near. You will know that my coming is near. So he said, I want you to be discerning. He also gave us the warning to be alert. Be alert like in the days of Noah. The days of Noah, Noah was building the ark. Noah had been warned about the time of when the flood was going to happen. He knew that God was going to destroy it all, that God's wrath was going to come. Noah would have been a preacher of righteousness, but nobody listened to him. Nobody paid attention to the words that he was saying. 
They were not understanding until Noah and his family got onto the ark, the door closed, and then it was too late. So the principle was be alert. He used that example also of a, of a thief coming in the middle of the night. He said, be alert. Uh, you don't know when, but you know that it's going to happen. Uh, the third parable he gave us was talking to us about being faithful. It was a master that was uh, leaving, and he left his servants in charge of the estate, and one of the servants that was in charge, took advantage of his fellow servants, beat them, treated them very unkindly, and he is calling us instead to be faithful with his word and to be faithful servants of his up until his time of returning. Last week, we looked at this concept of being ready, and being ready had to do with these 10 virgins, these 10 widows, the 10 uh, bridegroom, or the, the 10 bridesmaids that were there. Be ready because you don't know the day. You have been warned. God warns us over and over and over again. We are going to be without excuse when we stand before him. We can't possibly say, well, we didn't know. We weren't ready. Jesus has made us ready, and he wants us to be ready. Today's parable is one that is very familiar, and the parable today is going to be be knowing. I want you to be knowing. We're going to look at this parable, and my guess is that most of you in here have heard this parable before, but maybe in a different context than what I'm going to share it with you today. Because I want you to understand all of these parables relate to Jesus' coming again. Jesus had just taught about coming again, so you cannot possibly read the parables outside of that contextual understanding. Here's what Jesus says, and we're going to pick it up in Matthew 25, verses 13 through 30 for our time this morning. And here's the parable, the last parable, and then he will get into another prophetic statement that he is going to make. <clears throat> here's what Jesus says. For it is like a man about to go on a journey... He called his own servants and he handed over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. Now what was a talent? A talent was just a sum of money. A talent was about 6,000 denarii. Uh, it equated to about 16 years worth of wages. One talent is about 16 years worth of wages. So five times that amount he gives to the first one. Two times that amount he gives to the second, and one uh, amount of that, 16 years worth of wages, he gives to the third. Now, that's not here nor there. It is just God leaving this to them to manage and to take care of while he is gone. He gave to each one, he says, according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same way, the one with two gained two more. So they doubled their money, or they doubled the master's money. But the one who received one, uh, the one who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came. And settled accounts. I want you to notice that word came. Remember, a couple of weeks I told you and I showed you this pattern that happens over and over again in Matthew 24 and 25 about Jesus' coming. All of the parables, all of the messages relate to Jesus' coming. 
that word is constantly tied in there because this is what Jesus is talking about. That's what they had asked him about. When are you going to come again? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you about my coming. Here's what's going to happen. So every parable is about Jesus's return and his coming. So at the right time, after a long time, the master of those servants came, settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought another five talents saying, master, you handed me five talents. Look, I've gained five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, so I'll put you in charge of much. Enter into your master's joy. The one who had received the two talents also came up and said, master, you handed me two talents. Look, I've gained two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, so I'm going to put you in charge of much. Enter your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master replied, or his master responded, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you should have brought my money to the brokers. And when I came back, I would have received it back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to the one who has, more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away." Throw the worthless servant out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The message title today is The Need to Know God at the End of All Things. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I pray that you would go before us now, that you would help us to understand your word, perhaps in a very different context than we've ever understood it before. Help us to know that you are going to come back, that you have promised that you would. It was a long time ago, uh, 2,000 years ago, that you made that promise, just like this parable. After a long time, you would return. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would be uh, receptive, our hearts would be ready, our hearts would be alert, our hearts would be attentive. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be knowing you before it's too late as you look to your return. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us today and encourage us and convict us. I pray that you would do business with us so our hearts would be right with you. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being able to open your word. Thank you that you've given us your word so that we can know you. Help us to know you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me ask you just a survey question. How many of you have ever heard this parable before? Just a quick show of hands. How many of you have heard this? Okay. How many of you in hearing this parable before heard it along these lines that this has to do with your talents, your time, and your treasures and how you're using them for the sake of God? How many have heard that kind of a message before? Probably majority of people in here, you've heard that kind of a message. This parable is all about how you use your time, how you use your treasures, and how you use your talents for God's sake. 
I want to blow, uh, burst your bubble here a little bit today when I tell you today that that is not the impetus of this message. That's not the part of this parable. That is a little part of the parable, but that is not the impetus of the parable as Jesus gives it. In fact, that's really has nothing to do with the things that Jesus is saying. That's how most pastors interpret it. It's how most people pull it out of context. But it really has nothing to do with this parable. We should use our time. We should use our treasures. We should use our talents for God's sake. God has given you time. He has given you talents. He has given you resources. And he does want you to use it for his sake. But this was not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was talking about was knowing God. In fact, the parable is about what do you believe about God to be true? This parable is about what do you believe about who God is, what God is like, and what God does. This is the necessity at the end of all things, to know God in a close, personal, and intimate way as we enter into the end of all things. If you do not know God in a close, personal, and intimate way as we get into the end times events, you will be mistrusting God, you will be having accusations against God, and you will be tempted to walk away from God. Jesus is giving the warning that we need to know God at the end of all things. <clears throat> now, I want you just to focus in on one person here in the story because there's one person that matters more than the others. The first two servants who took these talents and doubled the talent, doubled the money. That's not the emphasis that Jesus is going after. He is really after the third person who is being described. The third person was described as a wicked servant because he took the talent and he buried the talent. Why? Did this person not steward the money the right way? Why did this person not steward it the way that the master would have wanted him to? Why did this person just bury the money? And I'm going to tell you this, it's because he really did not know his master. Now, how can I tell you that? I want to look just at verses 24 and 25 and relate this to us today. Look at what it says, what Jesus says in Matthew 20, um, 25, verses 24 and 25. And I'm going to emphasize some words that maybe you've never really keyed in on before. Look at what this guy says. Then the one who had received the talent, the one talent, also came up and said, I knew, I knew you. Notice those words. He didn't say, I thought you. He said, I knew you. What did I know about you? That you are a hard man. That's what I know. You are a hard man. You're one who reaps where you don't sow and gather where you scattered no seed. What does that mean? It means that you're an unjust man because you're reaping where you didn't sow and scattering where you planted no seed. So I was, notice this word, I was afraid. Why would I be afraid? Because I know you to be a cruel man. And I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. I knew that you were a hard man, an unjust man, and a cruel man. Therefore, I just buried your talent in the ground. I buried what you have given me into the ground because I knew things about you. 
I knew you were hard, I knew you were unjust, and I knew you were cruel. If you believe God is hard, unjust, and cruel, you will, be, you will make terrible decisions about how you steward your own life and your own soul as it comes to the end times events. You're not going to trust him, you're not going to obey him, and you're not going to love him because in your heart, you are believing lies about him. What Jesus is getting after is this, you don't really know me. And because you don't know me, you won't trust me. And because you don't know me and don't trust me, you won't obey me. And because you don't know me and don't trust me and won't obey me, you will never be able to love me. And therefore, you will not do what I want you to do because you believe in your heart accusations against me. How many in society have hidden accusations in their heart toward God, toward the kindest, most most uh, just one in the universe. Yet in their hearts, they feel God is angry, vengeful, unforgiving, unjust, cruel, that he is a hard man, and therefore he can't be trusted. See, Jesus is getting after this idea that unless you really know him, you're not gonna have any part of him. Do you remember when Jesus at the end, and I even mentioned this last week, at the, uh, as people approach the end and they die, go before him in heaven, and they say to God, they, they will come up to Jesus and say, well, didn't I do all these wonderful things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And what does he mean by the knowing? He means that I never knew you and you never knew me on, a, on an intimate way, on a trusting way, on a loving way. See, what you believed about me, God says, is that I was hard, I was unjust, and that I was cruel. And if you believe God is a hard, unjust, cruel being, you will in turn have hearts filled with hardness, cruelness, and injustice. You'll be angry with God because he doesn't do exactly what you think he should do because you really don't know who God is. People today in our society are making all kinds of decisions about God and what God should do and how God should act. He should give every woman the right to choose what they want to do with that little, that little insignificant fetus within them. But that's not God's standard because you don't really know what his heart is. The parable is all about knowing him. Do you know him? What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. It will inform everything about your life. It will inform and direct everything about the days ahead in your life. It will affect how you handle the tribulation, all having to do with what you know and what you believe about who God is. You see, when you believe in the generosity of God, you will become a generous person. Did you know that? When you believe that God is a loving God, you will become a loving person. When you believe that God is a forgiving God, you will be a forgiving person. What we believe about God affects our lives. It affects everything about the direction of our life. Stewardship that this parable is often used with is really a byproduct. It's a downstream of the condition of your heart. What you do with what God gives you is a byproduct of who you believe God to be. And so why did these first two guys steward their money the way that they did? Not their money, but the master's money. Why would they do that? Because they knew God to be loving and kind. 
They weren't being, uh, they weren't being, uh, having their arms twisted to do so. They just wanted to honor God and to serve him. They saw him in a different way than the third guy did. But the third guy knew him to be hard, unjust, and cruel. Therefore, there was no generosity in his heart. What you do with what gives, God gives you is a byproduct of who you believe God to be. If you are generous, if you are loving, if you are forgiving, if you are kind, if you are honoring, if you are faithful, if you are obedient, it's a byproduct of who you believe God to be. But if you are unloving, unforgiving, lacking generosity, unkind, unforgiving toward people, it shows a lot of who you believe God to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are transformed into what we are beholding. And if we behold God as an angry, cruel, unjust God, it will transform us into something that he will reject. But if we see God and we behold him as someone who is kind and generous and loving and forgiving and blessing, then we will be blessed by God. This parable is all about how you see him. So let me ask you this question today. How do you see God? What do you believe about God? There are all kinds of lies that are being spoken about who God is. There's lies that are being spoken about what God's truth says. And as we barrel forward into the end times, you will have more coming at you designed to trip you up and deceive you about who God is. So with our remaining little bit of time, I just want to remind you of four things that God's word says about who God is so that you can know him in a real and profound way. The first thing I want to point out about who God is, is that first, he is your Abba. He's your Abba. Now, where do we get that? Well, it comes out of a couple of different verses in the New Testament that Paul references. Primarily, we're going to take it out of Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to, to, uh, to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He says, look, I am not a cruel, distant, unkind, unloving father. I am not an unjust man, a hard man. I'm not a cruel man. I am an Abba father to you. Well, what does the word Abba mean? Well, in the Greek language, the word patir is the word for father. Patir, we get the word paternity. Matir, we get the word maternity. So patir father, matir mother. But that's not the word that Paul uses to, or chooses to use. He uses a word that is Abba. Now, what does the word Abba mean? The word Abba is the word that a little child uses to describe their daddy. A little child 
who sees their daddy. In fact, it's one of the first words that a child learns as they begin to speak in this world. They learn the word Abba. Now, my kids, all of my kids, when they first started speaking, my wife, she, she believes it. She's a little bit off, though, but she believes it that all of the kids, their first words were mama. They weren't. They were dada. That was all of the first words of the kids. I remember uh, she's, she's a little bit off when it comes to that memory. When my kids would call me dada or when they would call me daddy, it would melt my heart. When I would come home from a day of work and I had my children and they were really little at the time and I would have a son, Andrew, and they would be, Andrew was a little two-year-old. He would come running up to me when I would come home from work. His arms would be up. He would say, Daddy, and I would pick him up and it was just, it would melt my heart. Today, I have a little grandson. And for my grandson, we thought about, well, I thought about, well, what do I want my grandson to call me? Um, I didn't really want to be called grandpa because there's other grandpas in his life. And I, I don't want to be confused that way. And, and um, there's, I don't want to be called papa. There's already another papa on the other side that, that goes, uh, he, he's called papa. And I looked at what is the Hebrew word for the word grandpa? And it is not the word Abba, it's the word Saba. So I thought, there it is. I want, he's going to call me Saba. Well, he couldn't pronounce Saba, so he would always call me Baba. So from the earliest age, even to today, where he is, he is uh, going to be five at the end of April, he will call me Baba. It melts my heart. I just love it. He is, he is my little buddy. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell him, you're my best buddy. And he says, you too. And so that's, that's his heart toward me. That's the same concept that God says, you can call me Abba because I am not a distant father. I am your daddy. And I want that kind of a relationship with you that you can come to me in that manner. You see, I am not a cruel, unjust, hard man. I'm your Abba, and you can come to me with anything. Now, for some of you, that's difficult because you have had an earthly father that you had very, a very tense, very difficult relationship with. And because of that earthly father relationship, it has made the concept of God as your father a very difficult one. We often see God in the same manner in which we see our earthly fathers. And so if you had a cruel, unkind, unjust, unloving earthly father, you will most likely carry that over to who God is. We struggle with that, and it's almost like we need to see God through a very different lens. We need to see him in a very different way. That God is not cruel. He's not unjust. He is not hard. He's your Abba. And you can approach him like that. And we need to know him like that. That's what he wants us to know him as. One of the best analogies in all of scripture about the relationship that we can have with God is as his children. He calls himself our father. He calls himself our Abba, and he calls us his children. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, John writes this, See how glorious a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him and it didn't know him. Loved ones, 
Now we are God's children. And it has not yet been revealed what we will be, but we do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him because we will see him just as he is. This parable, it's not about what you do with your time, your talents, and your treasures. It's about how well do you know God? Because what you do with your time, talents, and treasures will flow downstream from what you really know about God. And if you believe God to be a harsh, mean, unjust, cruel being, it will affect the rest of your life. But if you know God to be kind, loving, generous, that he is your Abba, it will affect you in a way that you have never known. We are his children, and he is our father. He is our Abba. Second thing I want you to notice about who God is, about the ability to know God, is that he adopts you. He is your Abba, and as your Abba, he adopts you. Ephesians says it in chapter 1, also Romans in chapter 8, the verses that we just read. Again, look at these verses. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into fear again. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption. You have been adopted. I love the concept of adoption. Now, I, I love kids, uh, you know, as it is, but there's something special about adoption that doesn't happen in just naturally having children. You see, people sometimes find out that they're naturally having children, and the first response is, we need to get rid of this child because we don't want this child. Sometimes when people find out that they're having a child, the child feels growing up that they were unwanted, that they were a mistake, that they were rejected, that they were abandoned, that they were abused and shamed. And sometimes that is what happens when people find out that they're having a child and it's their child. Adoption is not that way. Because adoption is purposefully setting out to bring a child into the home, not because you have to, but because you want to. Do, do you understand that? Adoption is this, I want you. I want you to be a part of our family. I want you to be a part of our home. I choose you. Your earthly family may have not wanted you. I want you, and I want to bring you into our lives. Do you know that that's what God does with us? I want you. I choose you. Therefore, I want to adopt you into the family. If you will be willing, if you will have us, I want to, I want you to call me Abba and I want to adopt you in because I choose you and I love you and I want you to be a part of us. That's an incredible concept of who God is. You see, God is not a cruel, unjust, hard man. God is a loving, kind, generous father who adopts us into his family. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us. That means this was the decision from the beginning of time that he wanted to adopt us as sons or as daughters, as children, through Messiah. Messiah Yeshua would be the way that this adoption would take place. When you receive Jesus into your heart, when you accept him into your life, you are then adopted in to the family of God. This is the means and this is the method. This is the way that this is accomplished. He predestined us for adoption. According to 
the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of his will. He wanted to do this. He loves doing this. This pleases God to bring us into his family through his son Jesus, to adopt us into his family by which we can then call him Abba Father. Does that sound like a cruel, unjust, hard man? The third thing that I want you to notice is that he accepts you. He accepts you. No matter where you are at, no matter what you have done, no matter how deep the pit you have fallen into, he accepts you. It says in Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy. It's a mercy that God pours out. It is a compassion and a kindness and a love God pours out for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. All of that sin in your life, all of the iniquity in your life, he has taken it off of you and cast it away as far as the east is from the west. As a father has compassion on his children, so Adonai, so the Lord, has compassion on those who fear him. And what is that kind of fear? That's a fear of awe. It's a fear of, yes, trembling and shaking. We should tremble and shake in the presence of God, but it's a more of a fear that we should have reverence and respect and listen to and obey and follow what God has to say. He is one as our Father who accepts us, who adopts us, who says, you can call me Ava." And when you know him like that, it affects every area of your life. Finally, he is your Abba, he adopts you, he accepts you, and he never abandons you. He never will abandon you. Hebrews 13.5 says, For God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have been rejected. Some of you have been unwanted. Some of you have gone through a lot of pain. Maybe you've come to the conclusion, like this third guy, that God is cruel. He's unjust. He is a hard man. But you need to hear and need to remember and need to know that those are lies, that that is not the truth of what God's word says. He is the kindest, most just being in the universe. And we can have a relationship with him. And in that kindness and in his justice, he has said, I will never, ever, 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 ever abandon you. Now, you may have walked away from him, but God will never walk away from you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. So what is Jesus getting at in this entire parable? It is of ultimate importance that as we approach the end of all things, as we approach the end times events, as we approach his return, that we need to be ready, that we need to be discerning and look for the signs of the things that are happening around us, that we need to be someone who is faithful 
that we need to be alert, that we need to be knowing him and who he really is. Do you know God that way? Do you know that he is not hard? He is not angry. He is not mean. He is not cruel. He is not unjust. But he is the kindest, most loving, most just being in the universe. That God is the God who calls, who says to you, you can call me Abba. He is the God who says to you, I want to adopt you because I choose you. He is the God who says, I will accept you where you're at, warts and all, mess ups and all. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You come to me as you are. He is the God who says, I will never abandon you and I will never forsake you. That is the God that we need to know. And when you know God like that, you will take the talents he gives you and you will use them for his sake. When you know God like that, you will be generous the way that he is generous. You'll be loving the way that he is loving. You'll be forgiving the way he is forgiving. You'll be passionate the way he is passionate. You'll be reaching out and evangelizing the way he would reach and evangelize. You'll be discipling the way that he would disciple. We follow him as a byproduct of knowing him. Do you know him today in that way? Let's pray as we close. Father, I pray today that we would know you in that manner. And Lord, I pray specifically today for those who really wrestle with this because they feel and they have felt like you're cruel and unjust and hard and they have maybe not ever known you the way you want them to. Lord, there are some in this room or some that are watching who they've had such difficult and painful relationships with their earthly fathers that it is tainting the way that they see you. In fact, it's, it's almost impossible uh, to see you in a loving way because of the pain that they've had in their own lives. And I pray, Father, for them that you would heal their hearts and heal their wounds and help them to see you in the right way, in the real way, in the way that you want us to see you. Thank you, Father, that we can have permission to call you Abba the most intimate way, the most tender way to be able to approach the God of the universe, we can call you Abba. Thank you that you want us, that you have chosen to adopt us even when others have rejected us. Thank you that you accept us where we're at. You don't want to leave us there, but you accept us, warts and all. And that, Father, you will never abandon us. No matter what we go through, no matter what hard times we face, you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Father, we thank you for that kind of love and we pray that we would know you in that way. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen. Listening to that message from Journey Church, be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.